0: Family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live! Come on, be human and give, give, give! <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human! Aho!
1: Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunty, your host, looking forward to two hours of conversational improvisation, music, philosophy, and surprises. Wu Wei. Nice sound. Wu Wei. I first encountered this about 50 years ago in college. Had no idea what it was, but knew it was important. Fifty years later, I still don't know what it is, but I know it's important. We'll discuss it. We'll hear Alan Watts talk about it for a few minutes. Great teacher from the 60s and 70s. We'll dip into a few experts in Asian philosophy and see if we can't find out why. It might be a good strategy for the 21st century. Helping us with the discussion will be not one but two co-hosts. She is our Woodstock Roundtable Poet Laureate and Social Socialite, Victoria Sullivan. He is on-air weekend warrior here at Radio Woodstock and uh, takes care of How the Computer and joins us as a co-host, Ron Van Warmer. We will have music from the Sultan of Sonic Soul, Jazz Impresario, Gus Mancini. Street Philosophy from Patrick Carlin and James Orr, who will come in and play some of his father's music, legendary uh, Woodstock musician, Ted Orr. Uh, We always leave room for surprises because they will find us, and we will also get practical and talk to Russ Heyman, who is an expert in Medicare insurance. He might save you a lot of money. Hang out with us here at the Woodstock Roundtable. (sighs) Ah, open the pod bay doors, Hal. Let's get this thing cranked up. Good morning. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Doug. Wu Wei is all about change, transformation, which is really all we are. And from a practical standpoint, we're feeling it today because... When I woke up, it was forty degrees in Kingston. Probably that means thirties in higher elevations. Thirty
2: nine, and I'm sleeping on the porch. Ooh. You were in your liminal space. I, it was very <laughs> cold. I think I was in an ice box. <laughs> Did you know it was going to get that cold? I was hoping it wouldn't quite get there, but I, I have a lot of covers and things. I mean, oh. I'm not totally nuts, and I'm wearing a hat, and you know, <laughs> nice. I'm prepared. Long underwear. <laughs> you know, like. wow. do you have the pajamas with the feet attached? No, I don't. I sort of like to have bare feet in bed, but I've got about three different coverlets on and things. So I'm, I'm. Once I'm in bed, it's just that you never want to get out of bed when it's like that. Mm-hmm. That cold, you can't leave the porch. Yeah.
1: You're in your cocoon. Yes. Well, it's transformation time as we head from into uh, into the throes of autumn, and I was reminded about Wu Wei because. Um, well, I, f- I, I personally find most of the New I read the New York Times, the digital headlines every day, and very little grabs me anymore. Um, uh, I mean, we are, this is going to be a crazy effing election, <laughs> um, which is intriguing from a dramatic standpoint, but, you know, I don't find it healthy to spend too much time on that. Um, but every once in a while, the Times will do something a little kind of an outlier thing, and a... Earlier in the week, um, they had an interview with a translator of Asian philosophy, uh, American, and they were talking about Taoism, my favorite philosophy. Uh, And the concept of Wu Wei was part of that. And it's one of those amazing concepts. We know it's important. We don't quite know what it is, yet we've all experienced it. And uh, I thought we might dive into it today on an autumnal day when we're stressed out from this continuing pandemic. We're stressed out by a, a political atmosphere in which two sides cannot even talk to each other. And uh, we have to find our way through. And Wu Wei is an excellent strategy. So, Victoria, um, I sent you the interview yes, from The sir, Times. What did you, how did you find it?
2: Well... I had to keep reading it. I found that the transformation part was the most interesting to me, the idea that we are always transforming and that, you know, like being and non-being, form to formless to form to formless to form. um, That kind of made sense to me because he was working his way towards, you know, uh, the interviewer was trying to ask this man, so so how do you deal with death with the Tao, you know? (laughs) And he said, well, you know you could look forward to it and he tells these little stories about looking forward to it and it's like really uh but hmm. it's considered a transformation uh and then i thought the interviewer really gave himself away he said something like well do you remember this life you know and the guy must have just given him a look which of course you can't see in the times like <laughs> is uh well it's not likely that you remember but you become this other thing, whatever you become afterwards. You have your, your non-being before you come in, or your non-form. Then you have your form that we call life, and we're in a body, and we move around like a form. Your, your body is a form. And then when you die, you transform into non-form again. Uh, and I really kind of like that. I, I'm still playing with that but, because I think every day is like that in a way. Every day we you know we sleep and sleep is something like death I mean particularly if you get deep enough in and unconscious and then we wake back up and we're in our form and we wander around all day in our form and then we, we sort of drop it at night although I didn't sleep at all last night so I was apparently incapable of dropping my form So death is a dream Death is like a dream. That's nice. You know, I'll go the, for that. There was, there's, <laughs> the, remember the nurse. Shabum
1: shabum. <laughs> well, remember the nurse. There's a nursery rhyme that is absolutely tuned into enlightenment. Hmm. Row 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 your boat. Stop right there. V- advanced hypnotic technique. Hmm. Um, there's there's two very powerful ways to put oneself in a hypnotic or relaxed state if you want to get someone else you, you just say you start with some, some form of once upon a time and people go right into alpha state because mm. we like being told stories mm-hmm. um, or repetition row 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 I'm already gone your boat <laughs> then what gently gently down, down the, the stream, stream. Mm-hmm. now that's
2: very down it gets sick. even better Merrily merrily, 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 life is... I think
1: there's a fourth merrily. Uh, merrily, m- merrily, m- m- merrily, merrily, merrily. Whoa. <laughs>
2: life <laughs> you
1: is... You didn't have enough merrily in there.
2: No, I
0: didn't. You need more merrily I in your do. life. I do. Only three rows, but four merrilies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Which is good, because row, three row, row is like sweat, you, work. Let's <laughs> well, see, economically,
1: that's good. Three rows get you four merrilies. Yeah, that's a good deal. <laughs> life... Not life
2: is a dream. That would be good. Life is is but but a a dream. dream. Yeah, now that I realize that, maybe that can get me to sleep tonight. There you go. I'll Mm. just sort of hum that to myself. But then, (laughs) just to
1: show that life is complex, our mother sings us a lullaby that is incredibly horrific
2: and sadistic. Yes, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Oh, worse. <laughs> worse. Which one? Rockabye, baby. Right, on the on treetop. Tree top. Oh, when, great, I'm up on a
1: tree, I'm rocking. <laughs> when the, right? When the wind blows. The cradle will rock. Right.
0: There was a, a South African uh, lullaby. 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 Hold I, on, get to the, we
1: didn't get to the horrific part yet. <laughs> when the wind blows, the cradle, the cradle will rock. rock. And when the bow
2: breaks, the cradle cradle will fall fall. and down will come cradle baby and all. Or down will come baby baby, cradle cradle and all. all. Yes.
1: That's a lullaby to get a kid to sleep. (laughs) Oh, excuse me. uh, You're going to your cradle is going to crash and you're going to you're going to slam into the ground. So in the South
0: African version of that. It's Simbamba, Mama's Baby. Simbamba, Mama's Baby. Break his neck and hit him on the head. Throw him in the ditch and he'll be dead. (laughs) That's a. I like that better
2: than Rockabye Baby. (laughs) 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 Well, you know, they're interesting because they really all prove Bettelheim, which is that these things, you know. Are expressing very complicated emotional things, including maternal love and rejection.
1: <laughs> You're referring to the <laughs> Swiss psychologist Bruno, Bruno yes. Bettelheim, who wrote a brilliant book called The Uses of Enchantment, in which he shows that the value of fairy tales to kids is they don't really know that horrific things are going on, but their unconscious does. Their conscious doesn't. So Hansel and Gretel, for example,
2: nice little fairy tale. Yeah. They're throwing a witch in an oven. <laughs> yeah, but first she's kept them in a cage yeah. and told <laughs> right. them she's going to eat them. So yeah, right. Right.
1: Know, I think <laughs> I they, mean, nice they had to. fairy tale. But his point uh, was the parents that's— parents dumped them out off. Right. And the, and the parents <laughs> get just said, rid yeah, of them. we'll get, <laughs> uh, drop some crumbs. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: those are fa- Yeah,
1: that's how we learn how to grow up and face what is going to
2: be an adult world, which is anything but. Well, Bethlehem. <laughs> one of his more interesting things I found was that there's so many stepmothers in these stories. I mean, I think it's a stepmother in Hansel and Gretel that lets them go yes. off, and there's a stepmother in Cinderella. And I, I believe he said, unless I made this up, that the stepmother is really your real mother, but it's your real mother when she's hostile or angry, and you can't deal with that.
1: Right, so she becomes a, she becomes right. removed a little so, bit. Right, so we yeah.
2: pretend that these are all stepmothers, right. but really it's your nightmare mother. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and teaches what the next step is, yeah. Um, but at any rate, getting back to Wu Wei, W-U hyphen W-E-I. Let's hear about four minutes from Alan Watts. Alan Watts, who don't, for those who don't remember, was a brilliant teacher, great speaking voice, uh, born in England, Got interested in Asian philosophy in the fifties. Actually moved to Japan and actually lived with Zen masters. I mean, he really Mm. lived it. Uh, Became very well versed in Zen Buddhism and Taoism. Moved to the United States and became a a pop a a rock star. Really, I mean, he was very handsome. Always beautiful women around him. Uh, He would give these amazing spontaneous talks. In fact, I never saw it, but at the Fillmore East, when the Fillmore East was in its heyday in the late 60s, the psychedelic late 60s, during um, a breakful, uh, Grateful Dead sets, when they would, the, the band would take a break, Alan Watts would come on stage and do Zen raps. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, think this so cool. You know. and, and, and I've told the story before, I'll tell it again, because it, to me, was one of the most enlightening things I ever had to experience. I've never wished to be anybody else, but there was a moment when I said, "Boy, Alan Watts had it all—handsome, brilliant, seemed to get Zen and Buddhism well. You know, at least in his talks, um, was a was a rock star as a spiritual teacher, immensely popular, sought out, um, had a great laugh, and I remember getting a video." back in the mid-'80s um, of Alan Watts giving a talk from a houseboat. He was living in Sausalito in a houseboat. And something was wrong as I'm watching this. I go, what's wrong? And as I started focusing, because he's so mesmerizing as a teacher, I'm realizing, first of all, uh, he didn't have a shirt on. Okay, he liked to show off. He was sitting <laughs> down behind it like a desk in his boat. And then I realized there was a little bit of a hesitation in his voice. And there was a little smoke pillowing in from the side of the (laughs) scene. And then I read he was an alcoholic and a chain smoker. Uh And at first, I was really disappointed. Alan Watts, this (laughs) handsome, brilliant, Zen teacher. And then I went, that's perfect. It's perfect that he's an alcoholic and a, and a chain <laughs> smoker. And I mean I mean it. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it, it forced me to get off this idealization of anybody, ah. which any good Zen teacher would not want you to have any uh, an idealized version of him or her. Okay. In fact, they'll throw a banana peel in front of you if you try. So anyway, but he was a brilliant talker. so let's let's hear about four minutes of Alan Watts on Taoism and Wu Wei.
3: And he, he There he is a principle you. called wu-wei. Long pause. And this means... wu means non or not, no, negation. Wei has a combination of meanings. It can mean action, making... But the best translation I have found for it is forcing. And so Wu Wei is the principle of not forcing in anything that you do. Now we know, when we watch any performance of an artist, be it a dancer or an actor or a musician, we know immediately when the performance is forced. And we say, it doesn't ring true, it's too artificial, it doesn't seem to be natural. Many people who study the Taoist doctrines think that Wu Wei means do nothing. In the sense of laissez-faire, be lazy, always be passive. It doesn't mean that. There is a time for action when you study Judo. You use muscle only at the right moment when your opponent is hopelessly overextended and off balance and you add a little muscle to it and you throw him across the room. But only then. You never use muscle at the wrong moment. For as Shakespeare knew perfectly well, there is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at its flood, leads on to fortune. And so, Wu Wei is based on knowledge of the tide. The drift of things. Get with it. Wu Wei is the art of sailing rather than the art of rowing. So, if you say now, one of the most famous sayings of the, in the Lao book is superior virtue has no intention to be virtuous and thus is virtue inferior virtue cannot let go of virtuosity and thus is not virtue so one could also say the real wu-wei is not intentionally wu-wei and so is wu-wei but Inferior Wu Wei so tries to be Wu Wei that it isn't. In other words, this is saying Wu Wei is not a matter of cultivated passivity or even of cultivated spontaneity because there are people who think that they are released that they have realized that they are the Tao, as all of us in fact are, or that you are, to put it into Vedanta terms, every one of us is the Brahman, the eternal self of the universe, beyond all description or classification or thought. And say, okay baby, I'm that, now I'm going to have a (laughs) ball. Well, what kind of a ball do they have? Well, what they do is they look up the rules on which society runs and do the opposite. Well, that's still running by the rules of society and it's the mirror image in reverse. That's not spontaneity. You have to be able to realize that you don't know what you really want to do until you are very quiet. And it tells you. So, to quote Jesus, unless you become again as a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you read the Bible, incidentally, which is a very dangerous book, as I'm going to be demonstrating in Playboy this December, uh, (laughs) but understand heaven in a very literal sense, space. See, we are in heaven now because the earth is a spaceship and heaven is space. What is called in Chinese kung, Japanese gu, the void. That's what is important. That we most of us don't know this. Even Shakespeare has one of his characters saying, oh, that this all-too-solid flesh would melt. But do you know you're much more space than you are anything else?
1: Okay, well, a little food for thought there. We all got it now, right? Oh, yeah. We're all ready for the test? I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> test Ooh, me, Doug. I love his laugh. he got one laugh, in but if there. I'm yeah.
2: ready, I'm already forcing it, so there I'm, gonna, you go. I'm gonna say nothing <laughs> there, nah.
1: no, that doesn't work either no. It's just you only say something when it spontaneously uh, comes up
2: well, that usually happens yeah. here.
1: um but no it's a it's a constant it, it's a it's a constant practice because um a our brains are not naturally tuned into this b our educational system couldn't be more opposed to this. And we've also discussed this in terms of left and right hemisphere of the brain, which is my favorite topic, the left hemisphere being the one that gets most of the attention in Western civilization over the past few thousand years, certainly in our educational system, which is the left hemisphere. Very important is the part that takes things apart, understands the world by taking things apart, looking at their individual parts, how they connect, and then figuring things out. That's a great skill. Problem is, the left hemisphere of the brain cannot deal with ambiguity and uncertainty. And we live in very uncertain times, and it's not prepared for that. Um, The right hemisphere of the brain, which is physiologically larger and has more connective uh, synapses and neurons, is the part of our brain that is intuitive, creative, not only capable of making leaps, But is interested in the big picture, not in breaking things down into understanding things in their individual parts. So both are very important, obviously. The best brain is one that uses both of them together most effectively. But given the description of the two hemispheres, which one is clearly more capable of tuning into Wu Wei? Right. It's not even close. It's
2: not even Mm. close. That so, was a spontaneous response, yeah. although I actually had Here's a description of it, sure from our favorite
1: <laughs> book on the subject The Master and His Emissary, The Divided Brain and the Making of the Western World, Ian McGilchrist. It follows that in almost every case, what is new must first be present in the right hemisphere before it can come into focus for the left. For one thing, the right hemisphere alone attends to the peripheral field of vision from which new experience tends to come. Only the right hemisphere can direct attention to what comes to us from the edges of our awareness. Anything newly entering our experiential world instantly triggers a release of noradrenaline, mainly in the right hemisphere. Novel experience induces changes in the right hippocampus, but not the left. So it is no surprise that phenomenologically it is the right hemisphere that is attuned to the apprehension of anything new.
2: I liked uh, Watts' remarks on on performance because I I think about performance and that whole thing of how you can't force it, um, but you need to be prepared. And I think it's the same thing in athletics, that, and and they talk with those things of being in the zone. Mm. Uh, but I was thinking also how he says, you know, um, you you can't make things happen. And I was the, the word cool popped into my head, and I thought anyone who claims to be cool isn't cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's sort of things like that that you think about when you think about what he says that things have to naturally arise. So. The the virtuous person doesn't say, I'm virtuous, because they don't need to. They're just moving out of a simple virtuosity. And as soon as someone like Nixon says, well, I'm not a thief, you immediately think, well, you are, (laughs) you know, because why would you say that? So it's interesting for human behavior to kind of try and think about some of these things.
1: But everything in our culture, virtually everything in our culture, leans the other way. We consider a great leader one who is aggressive, assertive, and tells us exactly what they're planning to do. Well, Um,
2: aggression and assertion might be the right move in certain situations, mightn't they?
1: If it's spontaneous and called for.
2: And spontaneous, your best spontaneity often comes from a lifetime of learning.
1: Nobody disagrees with that. Nobody says you don't have to sit down and do very practical learning. I mean, when... Okay, an actor has to learn the part. Right, Right, and they have to
2: learn acting skills so that at some point it's just. But they then have to learn to let them go. Right, they have to go with their impulses, and we don't learn how to let go. Well, a lot of people are afraid of their impulses. What if I do something wrong? And that's where you want to get to that skill level where you trust yourself. And, and as musicians say, if you play a wrong note, most people won't notice. <laughs> you just keep going. It's the amateur who panics. I played a wrong note or I was off key. It's the professional who's like, oh, shoot, I played a wrong note. Well, let me just keep going. And 99% of people won't notice.
1: The um, <clears throat> As I was scrolling around the internet, which I love to do, trying to pick up who can really talk or write about Wu Wei in ways that resonate um i found a review of a book which i'm going to get the the book is called trying not to try how to cultivate the paradoxical <laughs> art of spontaneity through the chinese concept of Hu Wei." trying not to try interesting title which is of course impossible right um, but the, the reviewer maria popova uh brought up something from the book that I found fascinating. Um, the author's last name is Slingerland. She's the, uh, the reviewer writes, Slingerland frames the paradoxical premise at the heart of his book with an illustrative example. Stop right there. Show me, don't tell me. Right? hmm He points to an actual game called Mindball which he found at his local science museum in Vancouver you ready for this I think I would love to participate to to do this because I know how frustrating it would be at the beginning and since I know how frustrating it would be at the beginning I think I would accept that it would be frustrating until until and unless I got it here's how Mindball works two players sit opposite one another each wearing an electrode equipped headband that registers activity in the brain hmm. the goal of the game is to try to mentally push a metal ball which can be vis- which can be visualized <clears throat> so the goal is to mentally push a metal ball from the center of the table to the other player so there's an actual metal ball that sits between you and the other player on Midway. a table. Midway. Midway. <laughs> you have a headband on that's connect with the electrodes that connect to your brain, brain signals. Um, the winner is the one who, through their mind, can get the metal ball over to their opponent's side. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's the rub. Quote. The motive force measured by each player's electrodes and conveyed to the metal ball by a magnet underneath the table is the combination of alpha and theta brain waves produced when the brain is relaxed. Now, we've discussed this before. We know of four brain waves. There's a fifth. They're trying to figure out called gamma, But the four we know about, uh, beta, alpha, theta, delta, good old Greek terms, Beta we're all familiar with because it's the one we're in most of the time. It's the standard waking brainwave. It's the fastest of the brainwaves, cycles per second. And it's the one we have when we need to be kind of activated and get ourselves motivated to do stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It's also the state where we're most fearful (laughs) and stressed (laughs) is beta. We've all experienced alpha. That's when the brainwaves slow down either naturally or through meditative practice or visualization techniques or relaxation techniques. Or someone like Michael Jordan never studied any of that, but he had an intuitive skill set of being able to be the most relaxed when there was the most pressure on the line. Okay? We've all experienced alpha. So when we feel we're in the flow. Mm. We're very awake, but we're not that aware of the passing of time. In fact, we're often shocked at how quickly time went. That's alpha. We'll skip theta and go to Delta, which is the slowest of the four brain waves. When we are in Delta, we are unconscious. We are asleep. Hmm. Theta, I always found the most fascinating. Theta is a slower brainwave state than alpha, the flow state. And yet, we're not totally asleep. So based on that, it would appear to be the most enlightened state. Mhm. They have hooked up a couple of Tibetan monks who were experienced meditators who were able, you know, with the electrodes were able to get to a theta brainwave state through meditation. But very few can do it. But we are all in the state of theta four to six times every night when we dream. So if you think about it, life is but a dream. Mm. Um, <clears throat> when we dream, we're aware of the dream. It often makes no sense because it's speaking a different right hemisphere language and the left hemisphere can understand, but we're not unconscious. Mm-hmm. And yet we're not fully conscious. We're not awake. So theta is very interesting and... Um, it's possible, if we're really calm, to at least get a little a little bit of theta brainwave, but mostly it's alpha. So in this game called mind game, right, you have these electrodes attached to your head in a headband. There's a metal ball in the middle, and mentally, the way to push, to force the ball towards your opponent's side is by increasing your alpha and theta brainwave state, which means you have to relax more. Hmm. Not easy. Not easy? (laughs) Because you're consciously trying to
0: move it without consciously trying to move it. Correct. Also, it's
2: a competition. (laughs) (laughs) And it's very difficult in a competition not to push and stress. That's
1: the whole point.
2: (laughs) So what a cool game. I'm going to look into this
1: a little bit more. Called, And I'm going to get this book. Uh, The book is called Trying Not to Try, Try, How to Cultivate the Paradoxical Art of Spontaneity Through the Chinese Concept of Wu Wei. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to give an example from second grade that freaked me out, both for good and for bad, that taught me not only what I now realize was a little Wu Wei by a second grade teacher, but a concept connected to it from Gestalt psychology called the reversing of figure and ground. It's pretty pretty. I'm pretty hip and i'm going to ask you both to see if you can if you can come up with an example where in your life you felt you were in wu wei where, where something happened successfully but you weren't pushing or trying to get it done hmm. so we'll uh, get more into wu wei when we come back with more of the woodstock roundtable This is the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunty, your host. Fortunate to have two co hosts today every other week. Victoria Sullivan joins us, our Woodstock Roundtable Poet Laureate. That means we get a poem later on. You do. And you have a gig later today you'll I tell do. us about when yes. we get to your poem that people might want to participate in. Ron Van Warmer is here. Mm. He's in control of how the computer helps with our conversation. Or vice versa. And, or vice versa. <laughs> I talk about reversing figure and ground. We know who's in charge. Yeah. Uh, the computers are ever more in charge, and maybe that's a good thing in certain ways. We're talking about the concept, the great Taoist concept of Wu Wei, which was first emerged in the 6th century BC, so it's like 8,000 years old, and nothing lasts that long if it's not really important mm. and workable, and yet we still don't quite know what it is. It's That's what we love about our Asian philosophy. It's, It's... Not something we can sit there and just write a definition to. We kind of have to sink into it. But Wu Wei is, among other descriptions, something we've all experienced. It's when we accomplish something not by trying harder, but by being totally tuned in Mm. and in the flow. And... I wanted to give an exam. Ex- not as it's not perfectly woo-way, but it relates to it, and it it, it it popped into my mind and thinking because it was one of it was one of those seminal learning experiences my entire life, and it's surprising because it took place in a, p- a public grade school where basically you learn Bolivia exports 10 and not much else. I mean, it's just memorization that you regurgitate. But this this I'll never forget. Second grade misuse, and she asked about 10 of us to come up at a time. There may be 20 in the class, but half the class would come up. We're given a piece of chalk and a little portion of the blackboard, and we just were told to draw something with the chalk. Well, I was a big fan of the science fiction movie Rodin, about that giant prehistoric bird that attacks Tokyo. Uh (laughs) Um, And so I was not much of an artist, but I figured I could draw a big... Kind of bird figure, and I drew a little kind of rectangle for the building, and I wanted Rodan on top of the building, so I drew this huge stick figure of a bird on this little building. Mm-hmm. So Miss White's going around looking and commenting, and you know, and trying to encourage us. She was a great teacher, and. Um, uh, she gets to mine. She looks at it. Mm, what's that? I go, oh, it's Rodan, you know, the giant bird. And then she goes, <clears throat> how would you make the bird bigger without touching it? And my eight-year-old brain froze. And it froze because, talk about beta alpha waves, the class is watching. Mm-hmm. I wanted to succeed in their eyes. I certainly wanted to please the teacher. And I had no freaking idea what she was talking about. What do you mean? How do you make the bird bigger without touching it? So I sat there frozen trying to get my brain to work, which of course it couldn't because I was trying too hard to come up (laughs) with the damn answer. And mercifully, she didn't let me suffer for too long because her point wasn't to make me feel, it was to to learn. Uh And I'll never forget what she did. Maybe some of you have... Your right hemispheres have intuitively figured it out. I think I know. I bet you do. (laughs) She took the eraser. It's always good to start with an eraser when you're trying to do something. Uh Usually you want to first subtract. We're constantly adding on. Mm -hmm. She took the eraser, and she erased the little outline of a building that I had drawn, Mm -hmm. and she redrew it half the size. (laughs) Yeah. What are you looking at me, Victoria? See? She
2: redrew the building half the size? Yeah. That's Made the bird bigger. Okay.
1: So now the bird right. looks yeah, twice no, as big. I got big. that once right.
2: I once I got my mind into yeah, making see? the building smaller. Right. <laughs> right. Wow.
1: I got that.
0: that I, I, don't I can know tell that, from your face you got that. I don't know that I would have thought of it in your situation because mm-hmm. I probably would have frozen as well. But, but well done. But from here, I could say, yeah, make the building smaller. And 50 years later.
2: later. Yeah, of course. I but. forgot there was a building, so I kept trying to think of how you could fluff up the bird without touching it. <laughs> well, that's what I kept thinking about. You see, and this
1: turns out to be a process called reversing figure and ground, which mm. is the at the heart of Gestalt psychology and at the heart of Marshall McLuhan's insights, which people went, I know he's saying something important, but what the freak is he saying? because everyone's focused on the uh, the figure mm-hmm. the bird right how do you make the bird bigger without touching it well wait a minute the only way you can make the bird bigger is by touching the bird uh-huh. that's focusing on the figure she changed the ground mm-hmm. yeah she changed the overall big perspective mm-hmm
2: change of perspective never forgot yeah i discovered yeah, that recently lesson. in my living room the whole time i've been in the house i had the sofa facing one way facing the fireplace always face the fireplace which sometimes people would point out to me as kind of weird because the tv was on the other wall and you know i wasn't facing the tv even though i might look at it sometimes but i didn't have one for about the first 10 years i was there so i never changed it recently A couple people pointed out to me the ludicrousness of where I had it. (laughs) And so I had it turned, and now I'm looking out the window, and I see everything different in the room. From just moving the sofa from facing one way, moving it like only 45 degrees, really. I'm looking out windows. I'm seeing the trees that I never looked at because I was always looking at the fireplace.
1: Mm. I don't know how exactly, but (laughs) what connects to me is that is Archimedes' famous insight. Give me a lever and I'll move the world. Mm. And I, even as a kid, basically I just wanted to go out and run around and play baseball and throw a ball and play tag and all that stuff. (laughs) School to me seemed just like a rigid straitjacket. Um. But I figured I knew what I didn't want. And there was a phrase that's still a very much a part of American culture, which I never bought into. But I didn't know how to resist it. Because in grade school and high school, until you get to college. I don't know that there is a way. Mm. And that horrible axiom is. Nose to the grindstone shoulder to the wheel.
2: Mm.
1: Now, let's just step back for a moment.
2: That is pretty horrible. Forgetting about <laughs> Rockaby
1: Baby and the cradle <laughs> crashing, what could be more torturous, more sadistic, more masochistic
2: than nose to the grindstone mm-hmm. and shoulder to the wheel? It's very, it's very Calvinist. It's a certain kind of Protestant American attitude. Uh, that you really have to work and sweat because, after all, if you're a good person, you'll go to heaven afterwards. If you don't believe in heaven, you're fried.
1: <laughs> now, Alan Watts taught right. us in his excerpt there, wu-wei doesn't mean you're not ever trying. It doesn't mean you're not working.
2: It means you're not forcing it. Right. Mm. Well, that's that's his take. I mean, I think it's right. an interesting take. Um, there are a thousand Some people takes. say more it's not doing... And
1: no one says it's not doing. No translation. It translates not uh, doing. In, in the it, article it, we
2: read, it said not doing was one of the trends. But
1: not doing doesn't mean don't do anything.
2: Right. But it said not doing and not making. Right. And he added not forcing. So that's because, a whole switch of the because focus. Because nobody
1: but, who underst- that I've read who talks about Wu Wei intelligently, of course there are things we have to do. Right. We didn't show up here naked. We had to. We got dressed. All mm. right. That's not the, the point is the forcing. Um, sometimes we have to force ourselves. We get that. But it's the it's the mindset that that's the way you get things done. Mm-hmm. You get things done by nose to the grindstone shoulder to the wheel. Well, maybe sometimes that's required, but it's a horrible way to live one's life. Well,
2: Grindstone. Is and, really and it also doesn't also. get us to the highest right. levels of achievement is the point of way. And it doesn't. But when you're in a bad place, so the one that I had as a child, and it's worked for me, is one foot in front of the other. That's good when you have to keep doing something. Mm-hmm. When, you know that, That's and right. that's not like the grindstone. It's not as evil as the grindstone. You know. It's Excuse just- me.
1: It's nothing like it. It's right out of the Dao Ching. <laughs> it's right out of the Dao Ching. If you look, uh, pull up uh, first chapter of the Tao Ching, um, <laughs> it's the first thing. Lao Tzu, if in fact that's who wrote it, we're not quite sure, says is the Tao can be spoken of as not the eternal Tao. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're right. You start off in a paradox. Right. What I'm what you're now reading is not the Tao, but I'm going to keep telling you what the Tao is. So keep reading. OK. Right. The point is, at a certain point, you let go. But someone's got to get you started. So you read it. But he also says, and this is a famous we've all heard the phrase, it comes from the Tao Ching. The journey of 10,000 miles starts with the first step. Right. It's just what you said, one step in front of the other. But if you're thinking of, oh, my God, I got 10,000 steps, good luck with the first step. Right. It's going to be torturous. But you take the first step without trying or without thinking, oh, my God, I got 9,999 more to go. Right. So... No, there's, what, what is, could you, and again, there's a, thou, by the way, Tao Ching, 81 pages of basically poetry, a poetic form. It's a whole philosophy in 81 verses. And it is the most translated book of all time other than the Bible. Hmm. So... There's a lot of different translations.
2: So do we get to tell our stories? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because I came up with one, but I don't want to force it. A right hemisphere (laughs) Wu Wei story? Yeah, Uh I think so. Uh, A non-forcing story and a moment of truth for me. I was at a party about 15 years ago in this area, and a lot of musicians were there. And at some point, everybody started sitting in a circle, and people were picking up tambourines, and people had drums, and some very good musicians. And I had this feeling, I really want to contribute, but I don't think I'd be that good shaking a tambourine. And I wanted to contribute. And suddenly, I got up, and I just started to dance in the middle of the circle. And I wasn't dancing to show off or anything. And in fact, prior to that, I liked dancing, but I always felt after I did a few steps that I was sort of tired. This time, I just (laughs) kept going to the music and moving around in this circle, and it felt great. And I was really, I was so not into vanity or performance. I was just trying to think, like, I'm using my body as an instrument to respond to their music, so I'm part of the event. And afterwards, so many people came up to me and said, are you a professional dancer? And, you know, where do you dance? And I'd never had that. And since then, not that I danced like that again, because I don't think I ever danced like that again, but I don't get as tired dancing. I can dance longer. I Mm. enjoy dancing. But it was like some kind of breakthrough that had nothing to do with will or force. It was like responding to the music. It was response. And it was spontaneous.
1: It certainly has something to do with instinct, and we know now because we have MRIs that can actually look at the brain as it activates. And that intuitive instinct, which came to you, is first passed through the right hemisphere of the brain, which doesn't try to analyze it and figure Mm -hmm. it out. It just kind of, ooh. But it passes it over to the left hemisphere, which then tries to understand it and analyze it. The brilliance of McGilchrist's book, The Master and His Emissary, is, and he backs it up with neurological, he's, he's a psychiatrist and a neurologist as well as a literary scholar, so he backs it up with scientific evidence, okay? It's not just philosophical theory, which is interesting in its own right. It's provable um, with, with data. The problem with the left hemisphere of the brain, the part that's extolled in our culture, is it doesn't, on its own, then pass the information back to the right hemisphere for a big picture expansion. It's territorial, which is the basic instinct of the mammalian brain. And so the right hemisphere passes it along But the left, unless we as the CEO of the brain (laughs) get it to, it will not on its own pass it back. And so we tend to get stuck in the detail. We get stuck in the trees and don't see the forest. Um, but we need to understand the trees. So I would theorize that what happened to you when you is the instinct came to the right hemisphere. And for some reason, we don't know at that moment, rather than a moment before or probably after. The left brain didn't hijack it. Because if the left chain brain took it, it would say, wait a minute. I shouldn't be out here in public view doing something I don't under, quite understand why I'm doing it.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Now, why or how you bypass that, we don't know. But it's
2: a practice because we've all done it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think that artists do do that a lot, because I was thinking of that when you first started talking about this. You know, like, that was an experience that I can codify. But very often in the morning, a few words are in my head, and I sit down at the computer and just start writing a poem, and I don't know where it's going. I'm not forcing it. I'm not thinking it. If the flow stops, I stop writing. I don't try and force another line. Sometimes I do write in my little left brain way to be continued, so Mm -hmm. I'll know that I don't think the poem is finished but the actual moment of starting to write is very not forced not thinking not analytical
1: I agree with you 100% and here's the problem i have with that is you're 100% correct the problem is the left brain then says okay i get it if you're an artist you can be in the right hemisphere but i'm not <laughs> i'm an accountant i'm so, or i have to get some i have to i have a, I have a list of errands to do today So you go, you go write your poetry, but I'm going to deal with real life. (laughs) Mm. That's not what Wu Wei is. Wu Wei is saying it is, this is life. This actually is the way the universe works. We are a poet. We are, we are creating tension with the universe, which doesn't mean sometimes we don't just have to put the shoulder to the wheel. Okay. It's saying that that's not the most effective way to constantly do things. And yet, Other than a few examples like my second grade teacher who gave me a great Zen lesson (laughs) by, you know, by erasing the building and making it smaller to make the bird bigger without touching it. What percentage of our education is based on right brain, intuitive, big picture Wu Wei? Mm. One (laughs) percent? If Maybe. we're
2: lucky? Yeah. If teachers were good, they would catch it when students were doing mm-hmm. things like that and just say smile it's and not, great. It's not
1: if teachers are good. It's if administrations let teachers be good because mm. my sister's a teacher. That's how she teaches, and she gets crap all the time from the administration. <laughs> so it's about rules and regulations, and we understand we need rules and regulations, but then we have to know when to let go of them. And Watt said something very important. If all you're doing is rebelling against the rules, you're not in Wu Wei. Right. Because if all you're doing is rebelling against the rules, then you're operating according to the rules, just opposing them. Right. You're just creating a mirror image of the rules. Mm. Well, that's why you can't say that you're cool when you're cool. The (laughs) Wu Wei master would not oppose the rules, but not necessarily follow them. It would depend on the situation.
0: So I don't know that I fully understand Wu Wei, and I I probably never will. Welcome to the rest of us. Uh Perhaps an example, when I was in college, I was in a play, and I was really struggling with the role, and I just didn't get it and I, I learned it, I rehearsed it, I had no idea what I was doing, and the first night, with feedback from the audience, it suddenly came. They responded when I had never heard a response before, and I suddenly said, "Oh." And then I just forgot everything and just did it, and uh, it it just worked.
2: Excellent example. You were in the zone.
0: Yeah, and only from the fe- – because in a rehearsal, you never get, you know, any feedback. Right. And the yeah, audience responded. Yeah, you responded. Be
2: prepared for them to laugh or right. scream or moan. And
0: I didn't know where <laughs> the laughs were. I just didn't get the part. <laughs>
2: That's interesting.
0: And then when it happened and they responded, it all just came as – a as, Uh, a a big, you know, flower blooming that
2: just took over. There's an Italian word, sprezzatura, that they taught me in college many years ago, so I don't have the definition with me. But my recall of it was something like wu-wei almost, that it was when an artist or a person in any experience – just could do something so brilliantly and at the same time so effortlessly. That was Sprezzatura. Mm. That when you saw it, it, it was that thing. It was it was natural, it seemed relaxed. I mean, whatever it actually was, I think that the the slight difference between the Italians and the Tao might be that for the Italians it was like uh, those Italian films where what Marcello Mastrioni walks around with the You know the the jacket over his shoulder, and he's Mm. so cool in those old Italian movies. Um, It that's sprezzatura to me. You know when you just do something, and you it looks so natural. Um, So it's a little different because it might actually be something that you learn. (laughs) And you Mm -hmm. can't
1: be concerned. It's hard. You can't be concerned about what other people's reactions are going to be. Exactly. And you're not in a way anymore. So.
2: And That's America, what is what are kids taught all the time? What will people think? Right. that phrase right. was big when I was growing up. Happily, my parents didn't say it because they thought we should go out and just do whatever we. That they were into dominating other people. Kinky. <laughs> 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 they didn't, Kinky. Really, they didn't yeah. really care what other people thought. Um, all right. Well, well here's <laughs> what, uh, anyway. We we set
1: the stage for our favorite street philosopher, Patrick Carlin. Good morning.
4: I gotta tell you, man, this has been right up my alleyway the whole day. And in fact I got one of those vibe flashes off of Victoria because early on when you guys were talking about this Rue thing and all of this and that, I just wrote down casually, man, you know, uh, acting cool ain't the same as being cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And then later on she hits with that and even used the word cool so I'm glad that all my uh, thoughts are going out into the universe and being captured here <laughs> and you, there.
2: Thank you, Patrick. Yes. And we the appreciate whole world it.
4: is about me. The whole universe is about me. Everything is about me. It's always been about me. My mother used to preach to me, what will my friends think? I do not give an S-word what anyone <laughs> thinks, let alone your friends. We know that. I never cared what anyone <laughs> thought. And I went into one of them zones, man. I'm always relaxed because I don't care. I got an I-don't-give-an-S-word attitude, and that's a fortunate thing. That's a fortunate thing. I didn't have to cultivate it. It just came automatically. And uh, the Rouet trip, we were going to have a ride. My mother was happy that I joined a ride and all of that. I know how to hit the bullseye. And uh, we were doing a shoot-off against some team from Switzerland, and they brought rifles that were, like, molded uh, to their bodies, uh, beautiful walnut, shiny stuff and all, the big hexagonal barrels on them. They, like they were going elephant shooting, and they were shooting twenty twos, man. And uh, when I got there and it was time to plunk them out, I just went into my zone. Whoop. Yeah, balance the little ball right on top of the post. Squeeze, squeeze, bang, bang. I got only two nines out of the whole trip. I shot 198 out of 200, and I was never more relaxed in my life. And I had a zone like that shooting crap. Uh, <laughs> I was hitting, I was seeing 10 before it happened. We are up on a roof shooting, and I was shooting them between my legs and stuff. Come up, a hard 10. There it is. Okay, shoot it all. Eo living, mama. Boom, boom, boom. And it, I, was, I was singing that tune in my head. My bolero is a dance in the night. And I was in the zone. I was in the zone, and them dice were dancing, man, like those guys moving them balls. Only I don't waste my time doing those mind games. Who can move a ball the furthest, you know? Uh, let them give those to Captain Queeg, but I got to tell you that uh, the right brain is the one. Spontaneous is the thing. The left is good for sorting crap out after you do it. But first, the right brain has to say, "Whoa, wait a second, bro. There's too many of those guys here. You better just see how fast you can run for that subway station." And uh, other times, it's a more of an equal trip, and you can handle it with a, a heavy piece of something. But dig this, man. I'm going to tell you about motivating because I reached back and got this one from last week and I was talking to my boy, Jen. The nice thing about this uh, virus stuff and all that's going on is we talked to my Son in California every day. And he's got a heavy head because he grew up with us. So he's been, he, he, we never worried about homework or hooky. I used to encourage my kids to play hooky. And anyway, I got a demotivation thing here because I spent a lot of time in sales and I spent time with the corporate morons and I know the drill. I know the drill, dude. So I'm not here to motivate you because I am here to demotivate you. Only uh, no one can motivate or demotivate you. So I will just wipe out the motivation vibes that might be in this place tonight where you're all gathered to get wise and get knowledge. Well, you know what, well, Patrick? It it's
1: interesting that you Only said. Only you can Patrick?
4: motivate you. you so said, when you're here and you want to get your part thing, of the show you are trying, trying to, get, him to listen. get pumped up and go and sell the vacuum. Patrick. Cleaners with the rah-rah stuff. Get out there and sell our back because a Hoover is better than a Beluver. Like trying no, to stop man, a volcano. I'm here to let you know how to do very little, how to do the minimum, Patrick. how to be hey, a Patrick. mediocre salesman Patrick. and still have time to put out an effort of just getting by Patrick. and have time where you don't do this company homework. Instead, you go this and you play, it, play with your children recording. in the backyard. Patrick. If you just enough to get by. Patrick, uh-huh. I, I'll stop uh-huh. on Patrick. there. We're going to have good. to cut you off there, Patrick.
1: our good friend. But interesting, you said, whoa, wait. It sounded like Wu Wei to me. <laughs> anyway, as good a description of Wu Wei as I've ever heard from our favorite street philosopher, Patrick Carlin. Patrick, we'll catch you up next week, all right? Stay well. Yeah
4: man, that's Packy running the blender back there. All righty.
1: <laughs> Have a good week. Reality, man. Oh man, I think that's my, my 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 best most effective aerobic of the
2: week. I bet.
1: Trying to stop him.
2: <laughs> right. Cuz it's the way it and is. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a break. <laughs>